Worlds Review. Uh, joining me later will be David Lusky of Inside the Crown. But right now, on the show with us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Kind of crazy to think that we've got so few games left. It's, uh, this happens every year, no matter how good the Royals are. It's just like you blink and it's September. Yeah, and and especially when there's no meaningful games to turn into, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot, you know, a lot more interesting when the Royals were actually playing for meaningful games, but this time of year. But uh, that that seems like such a long time ago. Also joining us for some meaningful talk is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? Better than the people in Puerto Rico and Florida. Gotta tell you that. Yeah. Or yeah. Is, that hurt, those hurricanes are no joke, man. Yeah, it's it's going to be hidden uh, directly in Tampa Bay, so hopefully everyone uh, there is safe. And uh, uh, are you getting any bad weather in Georgia for, from that? Or uh, well, I'm up in North, North Carolina, Carolina right. now, yeah. But I'm supposed to get some heavy rain and even some strong winds. It's supposed to still have strong winds by this weekend when it gets to me. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, scary situation. So for anyone that's uh, down in Florida, please be safe and, uh, and 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 don't take any chances down there. Uh, well, you know, we do have some Royals news this week. Some pretty big Royals news. Uh, Dayton Moore, club president, uh, has run the team, run baseball operations for the last 16 years. Uh, he has been relieved of his duties as of last week. John Sherman made the announcement. Uh, J.J. Piccolo will be taking over baseball operations. And, um, you know, it's something that I, I heard whispers about, but I didn't quite believe. You know, they announced there was going to be a press conference. I didn't think it was going to be Mike Matheny because owners don't usually fire managers. But I thought, okay, this will be based, you know, downtown baseball related. Maybe they have a site, or maybe there's some sort of development. It wasn't until that afternoon when I think Carrington Harrison and, and Soren Petra began tweeting things like, "Well, this is not downtown baseball. This is personnel related." That I began thinking, okay, this this might actually be uh, Dayton Moore finally finally uh, getting the heave ho. Um, Matthew, let's start with you. Were you surprised that Dayton Moore uh, got got uh, fired uh, by John Sherman last week? So there are two parts of this. I am not surprised that he fired Dayton Moore. Um, when you think back to um, at the end of June, um, John Sherman had a big uh, interview with, um, was it Vern on 610 um, or Cody and Gold? Anyway, he had a big interview um, where he talked about um, just a lot of different stuff. He talked about the downtown ballpark. He talked about, um, you know, some of the um, – unfortunate things that have been happening on the baseball field, you know, the lack of winning and, and whatnot. And I remember the uh, the interviewer, whether it was uh, Cody or Vern, asked him, you know, are Dayton Moore and J.J. Piccolo the right guys to carry out your vision? And John Sherman could have said a lot of different things, uh, but he, d- he didn't say anything along the lines of, yeah, I, I have faith that these are the guys. He didn't say that. He said... Um, something to the effect of oh, they are some of the hardest workers in, in baseball. And that's kind of like, you know, you had to know that he was going to get that question. And his answer was very carefully, no vote of approval at all. Um, and when he's, when I heard the interview and when I heard that, that was really the first time I was like, okay, I think, I think he's probably going to make a change at the end of the year because he had so many different opportunities to respond to that question. That would have been, you know, he could have talked about their skills. He could have said, oh, you know, Dayton Moore is really great at X, Y, Z. He did he didn't talk about their skills at all. He just talked about how, how, how hard they worked and even bad baseball executives work hard. So that, you know, was a non-answer. So all of that's to say that I think that if you sort of have been reading the tea leaves, you could have seen this coming. 
for you know for a few months at least um what was interesting i thought was really interesting is um when they announced hey there's a press conference it's going to be john sherman um i didn't think it was going to be more on that specific press conference just because most of these times right jeff passan says the Royals are going to fire Dayton Moore. Nobody said anything until the press conference started, which I thought was very strange um, in that, like, there's not, like, somebody who breaks it beforehand, which is I what, what I think, if I can recall correctly, what happened for the other two GM firings this year, um, or, you know, baseball ops firings, whatever. I know Dayton Moore's not technically a GM, but... Um, so that was kind of unusual. Like I, I was not surprised to see Dayton Moore go. I was a little surprised to see that it went all the way through to the start of the press conference um, before there was really any idea what was going on. I thought that was unusual. That's funny you mentioned that interview. I forgot you meant you kind of raised uh, your your spidey senses. I think went off at the time of that interview back in the summertime, and I think you made made note of it. Like, hey, he didn't really give a glowing endorsement of Dayton Moore. You know, he's a hard worker. Like, that's not that's not an endorsement. You know, it's like when you ask someone in a job interview, like, what are your strengths? And it's like, or what are your weaknesses? It's like, oh, I work too hard. You know, it's like that doesn't mean anything. You know, that's not something tangible you point to as a, as a strength or a weakness. Um, you know, Jeremy, I, it's interesting that like, it's just a year that, uh, a year ago that Sherman promoted Dayton Moore to club president. Uh, in retrospect now, I wonder if that was by design is to kind of give JJ Piccolo a ramp up or like a kind of a trial period to see if he could handle the job and, and, or, or like what he would do under Dayton Moore. Maybe that was a way of kind of pushing Dayton Moore aside a little bit. But at the you know it, it, the timing of make of promoting someone and then fire them a year later does seem a little curious. What did you make of the timing of, of all this and and also doing it with two weeks left to go before the end of the season? So that was that was kind of the one reason I I was a little shocked that Dayton Moore got fired was it, the timing. You you promote a guy one year and then you fire him the next year. Why did what did, why did you promote him? <laughs> There had to be some signs there, but uh, it's an interesting point you make about because I think we uh, a lot of us were thinking this, and maybe even some of us said this at the time, where that you know maybe this is his way of getting Dayton more out of the day to day team team building decisions and into some of the stuff that he might be better at the culture building, um, and, and as it turns out, it didn't end up feeling that way at least for most of the season. Um, I, there were some rumors and I think they've been corroborated by some reporting now. I am struggling to remember the exact phrasing I saw that, but, um, that, uh, JJ Piccolo kind of started really having primary control over the roster, uh, around the, uh, the trade deadline and that the trade, the, the deadline trades were mostly his work, uh, not Dayton Moore's. Um, and so there, there might've been an element of that. I, 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 if you really wanted to give JJ Piccolo a chance to show what he could do on his own, I feel like you could have removed more from the situation, Dayton more from the situation more, uh, whether that's through a, a, a different position shift, whether that's through firing him, whether that's for like, Hey, I'm promoting you to baseball ops, but get you, you know, president of baseball ops, but you know, keep your hands out of the, the, we're not, you're not doing the draft. You're not doing the trade. You're not doing this stuff anymore. You're not general manager anymore. Um, and it feels like that didn't really happen. Um, but, uh, I think the writing was also a little on the wall, uh, in retrospect, uh, hindsight being 2020 that he was going to get fired. 
Um, in addition to what Matthew pointed out, we also got the, you know, the status quo is not acceptable. And, and Dayton Moore is very fond of, and, and honestly, J.J. Piccolo to this point has been very fond of saying, you know, we're very happy with where we are. We're very happy with where we are. We think we're going to get better. We're very happy with where we are. And, and when you've got one guy saying status quo isn't acceptable and other people saying, yeah, we love the status quo. Everything's good. There, there's a conflict there. Um, and so hopefully, you know, this, this is a, this is a sign that, uh, Piccolo was kind of towing the line because Dayton Moore was still his boss and that the, the understands that the uh, status quo is not fine and, uh, it'll help, uh, help work, help him work with John Sherman and help him improve the Royals. Yeah, I think a couple readers, and, and I think maybe you guys pointed this out as well, last week when the Athletic article came out, like Dayton Moore seemed very, very defensive about what was printed. And some of that you would expect, but it, you know, I do wonder if like there had begun conversations of like, okay, uh, or he, or there were at least rumblings of like his job could be in jeopardy or, you know, maybe just felt, you know, with the way things were going that that might be the case anyway. But it certainly did sound like a, someone who – New things weren't going well when you start and, ac- accusing, you know, the reporters of lying, basically. And I have to wonder, um, you'd, you'd also asked, and I completely forgot this part. You asked, you know, what, what's with the timing a couple weeks before the season ends? I have to wonder if that interview was part of it, mm-hmm. because that was not a particularly, uh, I think, as Matthew wrote and talked about beautifully, uh, not a particularly professional interview. Uh, not a particularly uh, confidence-boosting interview from the uh, president of baseball ops. And and I feel like just like a manager can lose the team, uh, if your president of baseball ops is acting like he's paranoid and, and he's afraid someone's out to get him, that's not really the message you want to be sending from your from your leadership there. Well, let's talk about the new guy, uh, J.J. Piccolo. I mean, he's the new guy. He's going to be the man in charge, it sounds like. I don't know if necessarily they're, they're going to hire someone – Above him, it doesn't. I mean, the person I got from the press conference is that JJ is going to run the team. He's going to run baseball ops for now. Um, I, there were some concerns from some of the readers uh, and other fans that should we trust that a man who's worked twenty years under Dayton Moore uh, is he really the right man to lead the the team? Uh, Matthew, what 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 do you think of JJ Piccolo? What are you kind of expecting from him, or do we not know what he's going to be at this point? I think we can infer what he's going to do from. John Sherman. Um, and I, I like, I, I kind of get the initial sort of um, like negativity of, Oh, he's just going to be just like, just like more. But the, the reality is I think that we don't really know a lot about, about Piccolo. Um, but what we do know here is that John Sherman has a very specific vision for his team. If you listen to the press conference and I highly recommend you do so because it was a great press conference, very, very interesting and very informative. Um, John Sherman wants a team that is more transactional, basically, not that they are going to be quite as transactional as some other teams, but, you know, they want to be more transactional. They want to be able to move on to play, move on from players when they're at their peak value or, um, you know, not be afraid of moving some stuff around. That's one thing. Another thing is that, you know, he wants the team to incorporate data more, and that is more of an organizational sort of shift towards using the data that they have. That, you know, Sherman says they've got the data, it's about using it, it's about using it better. 
And then it's just about, um, you know, where the Royals expect uh, to be. And, um, you know, rather than sort of loading up for a once a decade shot, he wants them to be a team where, as he said, they could get into, into the wild card conversation, you know, and once you're in, anything can happen. And so that sort of sustainably good team, if you want to think of it, the Cleveland model, which is where he came from, uh, Cleveland or Milwaukee, they are continually good. They're never like totally rebuilding. Sure, they have some down years, but they're always restocking. They're very smart about what they do. Um, I think that he has this vision for the team. And what we know about J.J. Piccolo is that John Sherman chose him to be the guy to carry out that vision. And so for what I sort of infer from that is, you know, I think Sherman thinks that Piccolo is the right guy. And I think that goes a very long ways. Um, he could have, Sherman could have done anything, right? He was firing a guy who brought the Royals to the World Series. Do you not think that he could have just as easily fired the top two people if he thought that they were both the wrong people for the team and bring someone else in? You know, it takes guts to fire a guy like Moore who won a World Series in a small market like Kansas City. I have no doubt whatsoever that if Sherman thought that Piccolo wasn't the right guy, Piccolo would have been out as well. So I think that's the thing that I think you should really think of when when thinking about what kind of general manager Piccolo is going to be, is that Sherman didn't, he wasn't just a lame duck guy. Sherman chose him. And from that, I can infer that he's going to be more of the type of general manager that you would expect from from Sherman's comments and less of the general manager from the sort of Moore approach of loyalty at all costs. Yeah, I was trying to think of how many baseball ops heads have been fired after winning a ring in the last 20 years. And the only one I can think of right now is I think Ruben Amaro for the Phillies after he won a ring there, they kind of went into a tailspin and, and he got relieved of his duties. I believe everyone else has got promoted or changed jobs willingly on their own. Um, so yeah, you're right. By the Red Sox. What's that? Didn't Dombrowski get fired by the Red Sox? I thought he kind of left off his own accord. I thought it was kind of a mutual thing. Well, it could be if it was forced out as well. Um, he just seems to change jobs, you know, all the time anyway. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, so he could have, like you said, it was, it was a hard thing to fire someone with that kind of, uh, resume. Um, but Jeremy, what do you think of, uh, Piccolo? Is that, is that enough of a break from the past? Uh, or was it good to kind of maybe keep some continuity in the organization, considering that they they had one ring before? So, I I think it's important to recognize that for all Dayton Moore's flaws, he was not wholly imperfect. He did do some good things. Um, you know, the loyalty he was loyal to a fault, as I think we've all discussed ad nauseum. But loyalty in and of itself is not a bad thing. It led the team uh, during the 2020 pandemic to be the only team to retain all of their front office staff members and all of their minor leaguers. Uh, that was that was a pretty, pretty, you know, it's good to treat people well. And uh, I think that's, a, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we had. And I think it's something, I think, as I wrote uh, kind of last week, and I think it's something that J.J. Piccolo has been in a perfect position to learn from, from Dayton Moore, is that uh, he's been in a position where he's seen, you know, like, you know, when is loyalty a good thing? 
when is it good to treat people well and it's not going to cost you much? And when is it a bad idea and it, and it actually ends up hurting everybody involved? Uh, so, you know, sticking with Mike Moustakis through 2014 and giving him 2015 for him to break out, that was good. It was a good choice, good loyal move, um, and and it worked out really well. Uh, sticking with Ryan O'Hearn, uh, you could argue that that's loyalty. It's not been good for the Royals. It's not been good for Ryan O'Hearn. That's just madness. Uh, it, there's no loyalty there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so... Hopefully, uh, you know, J.J. Piccolo has been in a position where he can see, you know, like, where does this go well? Where does this go poorly? And then, as, as Matthew said, uh, uh, Sherman seems convinced that Piccolo uh, is going to be his kind of guy who's going to, you know, use the data better. And for all we know, you know, when when we work, I, I think we've all worked multiple jobs in our lives and we have different working styles based on our bosses. We, we do things differently, you know, because our bosses say, we'll do it this way. And for all we know, J.J. Piccolo has been kind of biting his tongue and being like, well, I don't think that's the right way to do it, but you're the boss for years and years. And 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 uh, Sam McDonald had a profile of him shortly after the promotion, or I guess I don't I don't know how much of a promotion it was, but the the relieving of Dayton Moore, where he talked about you know how much data matters to J.J. Piccolo and how much it matters to John Sherman, um, and, and so that does seem like a match. So hopefully, uh, you know fingers crossed maybe we'll get the best of both worlds where we'll get a gm who wants to treat people as well as possible but also a gm who knows you know sometimes you got to move on yeah no, i i think that it was a little unfair for people to just say well all we know about jj piccolo is that he's worked under date more therefore he'll be more of the same because like you say like just because you work to someone doesn't mean you necessarily agree with them and like they may Make decisions that you don't agree with, and but there's nothing you can do about it because they're the person in authority. And so he may very well be his own man. And to me, I think the press conference kind of, you know, reading between the lines of that, there was a power struggle between what Dade Moore wanted to do and what J.J. Piccolo wanted to do. And Dade Moore kind of had his older school way of doing things that had worked for him in a couple, you know, for two years at least. Um, and J.J. Piccolo had wanted to kind of move the team into the modern baseball, which is using analytics. Um, and I think there was, there was probably a little bit of a conflict there. And I'm not saying like the guys didn't get along or anything like that, but I'm just saying, I, I don't think they were on the same page philosophically. And John Sherman picked his side. I think he picked uh, JJ Piccolo and, and kind of outlined why in his press conference, I did want to talk about some of the comments he made in the press conference. Sherman that is. Um, but first I, I, I think it was a little odd <laughs> that they had Dayton Moore there, but not, J.J. Piccolo. Uh, Dade Moore was at the press conference, which is a little awkward since they were firing him. And you had Sherman there talking about why they were firing him. With And I know Dade Moore left at one point, so he didn't have to like stand there and like listen to why he, he was getting fired. But it, it, it did seem a little awkward. I know some people were talking about, you know, did the Royals handle this well? Matthew, what did you think about how the Royals handled the dismissal of Dade Moore? I, it was it was pretty standard other than more getting a chance to speak like if you if you think zoom out you know and you think to sometime anytime really that someone in your workplace performed poorly enough to get fired and then give them a platform in front of people like in the organization and to the media like that's just that's wild <laughs> I, I sort of I sort of get why they did that because it's 
as much as we like to say, you know, like imagine in a normal, you know, workplace environment, oh, this is, you know, this is sports. This is big league sports. It's not a normal environment. So I thought that was weird. I didn't think it was weird at all that Piccolo wasn't there. The only weird thing about it was that Moore was there and they gave him a chance to speak, which, and then the reporters clapped for him afterwards, which was kind of weird. I don't know if the reporters just like didn't really know what to do. So they're like, I guess we'll clap for you. You just got fired, but we're going to clap for you. It's, yeah, it, that part was weird. But otherwise, I mean, they handled it well enough. And like I said earlier, they didn't leak to the to the media which was impressive slash weird um so i guess it, it was following kind of royals protocol of being like yeah this is good it's a little weird but you know okay well yeah and i think it, i think actually it was kind of classy they let they more talk a little bit uh and kind of say his goodbyes and and he's and he handled it with grace i mean i don't think you'd expect anything less with Dayton more like he's been you know for the most part a class act um and he handled it i think with 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 humility and grace um, I, I thought it was weird that J.J. Piccolo wasn't there. He's your new baseball ops guy. I think you want to hear about the direction of what he plans to do. And I know they made him available later in the week, but it's just weird that he, he wasn't at the presser. He wasn't available to the media at all that day and that he wasn't available for a couple more days after that. I, so I, that, I don't know why they didn't like that. I just thought that was a little weird. But um, let's, let's talk about the comments from John Sherman a little bit, uh, Jeremy. Um you know, I think Matthew said it right. I heard a lot of great things from John Sherman. He talked about being more data-driven. He talked about being more transactional. He talked about other small market teams he would like to emulate. Um, to me, he really hit it out of the ballpark. Uh, what was kind of your reaction to John Sherman's press conference and what he had to say? Uh, data, 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 data. I just kept hearing data. And that, that makes me happy. Um, it's, what I, it's what I wanted to hear. Uh, because you know, especially a big chunk of that uh, that that hit piece, you know, against the Royals pitching development—not really a hit piece, but uh, that's how it was treated by some—was uh, was about you know the availability of data, the usage of data, the understanding of data. And they're like, yeah, they've got the data, but does anybody know what it is? Know what it means? Know what to do with it? And the answer is not really. Um, and some of that is going to be old information, certainly, and some of that's changed. But I, you know, there was no, there was no point in that in that article that was like, you know, hey, they're doing data better now. So you have to wonder how much changed, or you know, uh, did it really change for the better? Um, there was a graphic that got tweeted out today uh, by a, a man called Jay Kuda. And uh, he he went through and tried to count the number of baseball ops analysts slash data guys in all of the baseball teams, and then also put it on a chart uh, with the team payrolls. And just looking at it, the Royals are, as you would expect, in the bottom left uh, kind of corner of this graph. But uh, all the teams that are spending more than the Royals, but have fewer, uh, actually all the teams that have fewer uh, um, data analysts, on their on their front office are not going to the playoffs this year none of those teams are whether they're spending more or less none of those teams are going um and there are at least by my count two teams maybe three uh and i'm not sure what the diamondbacks record is uh but three teams that are spending less than the royals but have more data people in their front offices that are going to the postseason this year uh, the orioles are there and and i don't know if they're going but they were they were competing for a hot minute so as better than the royals were doing 
so, you know, that, that tells me, you know, I, it's one graph, so maybe I shouldn't read too much into it, but this is kind of the thing we've been hearing and seeing for a while is that the more data you have and the better you use it, the better your chances of winning. Uh, you know, obviously, if you have all the data and you have all the money, like the Dodgers, then you win a lot of games, um, almost all the games. And that's great, but uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to win the maximum amount of games for your dollar, then you need more data and you need to use it well. And uh, and the Royals clearly have not been doing that. Uh, so that that's just my takeaway from uh, John Sherman is that he he wa- he cares about the data. He wants to make sure that we're getting the best data, that the team is getting the best data, and that they're using it effectively. And, and that that's music to my ears. I think you set a record for saying the word data the most times. Data. <laughs> data. Data. Uh, yeah, I think a couple things that really stuck out to me is, uh, number one, he said, we're collecting the data, we're just not using it, which I think was really pointed um, because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the good work that Daniel Mack, uh, who kind of runs a lot of their analytics, has been doing. Um, but obviously there's a disconnect between what they're collecting and how it's being used in decision-making. And he specifically, in Sherman, specifically mentioned, uh, I think, the draft and uh, how they use it in, in transactions. Um, and so it makes me think, okay, well, they have the data uh, and they're just not using it in, in, in how they make acquisitions. And I had, I had heard a rumor, and I don't know if this is true or not, I had heard a rumor that Sherman, when a Sherman does have like a, an analyst who was very much against the Hunter Dozier signing uh, and kind of raised red flags about it and, and got overruled eventually. Uh, so I don't know if, if perhaps... Maybe that was maybe the start of like the 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 the, cra- the, the cracks in the foundation uh, because uh, it sounds like you know D- uh, John Sherman wants to get into uh, maybe relying on data and, and he said I I, I don't want to hear anecdotes I want to hear data and you know instead of listening to who's a good person who's a who's a, who 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 have I known since I drafted them out of uh, Stephen F Austin. Uh, I want to see data on, you know, who has a good, who's declining, who's in his decline phase, what does the exit velocity look like, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they haven't made decisions yet on the on-field staff. That's they're supposedly having meetings, I think, as we speak in Detroit. Uh, Matthew, it seems like there's another shoe to drop. How much of a house cleaning are you expecting in this organization? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I would expect a lot um, at the bare minimum. So. Um, I, I had started work on a piece that will not see the light of day because it is um, irrelevant now, but basically I laid out um, five potential um, uh, results uh, for the offseason, uh, right? So I like from least to most disruptive, right? And in basically all of them, I was I said, we could basically assume that Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred are not, not returning, um, except unless they just didn't do anything, which was a possibility and not very likely one, but it was a possibility. Um, but the reason, reason being is even if the Royals like didn't make a change at general manager, like they were bad enough that they had to try to change some other stuff. So I don't think that Metheny and Eldred who are in a lot of ways tied together. I think that Eldred and Malini, well not, I think that Eldred and Matheny go way back. Um, and it seems pretty clear that Matheny is vouching for Eldred and um, Matheny himself um, was being vouched for by Dayton Moore, like Dayton Moore and Mike Matheny or, you know, Matheny went to work for Moore before becoming the, you know, the manager. So I think that now that the connection with Moore isn't there um, and if Matheny gets fired, then there's really no reason to have Eldred 
uh, Kyle Eldred around. So I think at the bare minimum, that's going to happen. I would expect, we'll see how accurate this prediction is, but I would expect the Royals get some sort of other front office talent. Like I would uh, expect them to sign to sign, I guess, sign to get somebody from a different organization and promote them to like assistant GM. Like I would imagine that they will promote, they will find some up and comer and put them in a spot, not the, you know, the big, big captain chair spot, but give them some stay in the organization to sort of shore up some of the um, weaknesses that the Royals have had and the data implementation department, at least. So I would expect those three things at least to happen. And the, the fourth thing that I would expect to happen, and this is a lot less, you know, visible, but the minor league coaching staff, I think is also potentially going to get, going to get turned on its head. Um, and especially when it comes to the pitching development side of things um, and sort of tangentially related to that, I think that there could be some other coaches that get let go in the major league staff. Um, I would expect that the uh, hitting staff keeps their jobs, but um, and everybody else is probably, you know, up for the chopping up for the chopping block, so to speak. And like, I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I think Matheny, like I would be okay if Matheny stayed on as manager. Like, I don't really have a problem with Matheny. Like none of his real, none of the problems with the Royals really originate with Matheny other than potentially keeping Eldred uh, around. He, I think that the manager spot is probably the most overrated spot in all of professional sports. Um, it, it has, there are things that you have to be good at, but um, I think that there are a lot of people who are good at those things. And the difference between a great manager and a bad manager isn't really that wide. I'd be okay with Matheny sticking around. I don't think he's going to, I feel like new GM wants to put his hand picked guy in there. So I would expect that Matheny and Eldred go along with all of the other changes I said. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm probably the most, uh, I don't know what the right word is, I like, I have no reaction to Mike Matheny at all. Like, I've been mad at some managers, most Royals managers, you get mad at them. I, I just have, like, no opinion of him. Like, he's just there. I don't, his lineups are, they're, they're not terrible. They're not great. They're, they're just, they're just there. His pitching decisions, they're, they're fine. I don't, I don't, I don't have a big problem with him other than, I guess, keeping Aldred. And I don't think a good manager would have won a lot, you know, many more games this year. That being said, there's no reason to keep him around either. He's it's not like he's he's it's not like he's a great manager, like doing a terrific job keeping the clubhouse. Uh, I don't know, Jeremy. What's your thought on Mike Matheny, and, and do you think there's any chance that he he keeps his job? I don't. Um, I, I predicted uh, last time we did a podcast, I guess last week. Uh, that if Dayton Moore was gone, that Matheny and Eldred would also be gone. And, and for mostly the reasons that you guys have already mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Matheny actually really impressed me uh, early on in 2020. Uh, I felt like his bullpen usage was was outstanding, uh, but it didn't last. And apparently a lot of guys didn't appreciate it. And, uh, you know, there's been some, some kind of, Oh, some very kind of low-level rumblings in the clubhouse. Um, you know that uh, things aren't. You know, people aren't happy about whatever. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, Flanagan said a couple times. You know that uh, that Matheny. Uh, you know, people didn't like the way he was running the club. Uh, that he was trying to win games that didn't need to try so hard for and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I tend to think that the most important part of being a manager is making sure that everybody is aimed in the same direction and working together. 
Uh, and it sounds like Matheny, you know, he could be worse at it. He could be Tony Larusa. Uh, <laughs> he could be a lot of guys. Mike he, Matheny, he awake during games. That's a, that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, you know, but like there's 30, there's what, 30 of these jobs in the whole world, 30 of these jobs. If you're just fine, there's no reason for you to keep your job. It's time to go look for someone who's better. Um, and I was going to go on for, oh, the other thing I just want to say is that I heard of some weird, uh, out of left field rumor that the, they were going to fire Matheny and hire Joe Madden. And gosh, <laughs> I really hope they don't do that because he has been on a whole rant about, oh, analytics are the worst thing ever. So, you know, with John Sherman being like, analytics are great, I can't see that happening. But boy, if they went out and got Joe Madden right now, I would be, I would be upset. Yeah, I saw some fans asking for Ned or for Ron Washington and Joe Madden, and I was like, "Do you realize both of those guys are older than Ned Yost? Like that that those guys are not here for the long haul." Uh, yeah, Matheny, he did seem to have a like. There were some reports. Uh, John Heyman, I think, mentioned it. Josh Vernier mentioned it. There was a weird clubhouse vibe in the first half. I think some of that was kind of because of the veterans. To be honest, I think Whit Merrifield had a little bit to do with that. Or and not because Wit is like a jerk, although he may be. I don't. I have no idea. I think he was just tired. He was just tired. The losing was getting to him, um, and it's probably it was time for a change for him. But it seems like it's been a little bit more of a cohesive clubhouse in the second half now with the younger guys. But you know, so I, I don't know if, my, if that's an endorsement or not. A Matheny, like, could he have done something about that earlier? Do you want him to be in charge of young guys when you know he wasn't able to kind of turn that clubhouse around earlier? And like you say, like. <laughs> The fact that he's not terrible is not a ringing endorsement. There's only 30 of these jobs to parcel out. Why give it to to, to Mike Matheny? So we'll see. I I I would I think it's like a 99% chance he's gone by next week. I mean, he may not last the weekend, as far as I know. Uh, and I expect him to to hire someone else. We'll see. I don't I don't really have an idea of what JJ Piccolo thinks about um, who he might hire if he's going to go inside the organization, outside the organization. I'm with Matthew. I do think there will be some other changes in the front office. I think you could see some like. Guys that have been there that are kind of in emeritus positions, maybe move on. Um, I don't know how much of a say Lonnie Goldberg has anymore over the draft. I know Danny Oliveros was a scouting director over this year's draft, uh, but you could see someone like Goldberg move on. I know Scott Sharp has been up for some other GM jobs in the, uh, the last year or two. Perhaps he moves on now that there's not a chance that he gets this job. Um, so we could see some other other changes as well. It'd be kind of interesting to see what happens. Let's take a quick break. I'm going to talk to David Lesky for just a little bit about uh, Moore's firing, and then we'll wrap things up with Jeremy and Matthew talking about Dayton Moore's legacy, and then we'll uh, wrap things up with our Royals Review reviews right after this. Well, joining me now is David Lesky. He writes for our side, of course, but he also has his own newsletter you should check out and subscribe to called Inside the Crown. David, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm sure you, you probably heard, but the big news is that uh, Dayton Moore is out as uh, Royals Club president. What? Yep, it, uh, it's breaking. I actually had someone contact me on Twitter. He said, uh, uh, hey, I heard Dayton Moore is out. You should probably tweet about that. I was like, well, uh, I think you're a week late, buddy. Uh, so some people already guess are just finding out. for you. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, Dayton Moore is out as club president. Uh, J.J. Piccolo will be taking over the t- uh, baseball operations. And uh, I guess I want to take... Get your take. I, you know the timing is a little in- interesting. I think with two weeks left to go before the end of the season, uh, John Sherman talked about wanting to get kind of a head start 
Um, but what, what, what was your kind of uh, reaction, I guess, to the firing in general, but also to the timing of it all? And how do you think it kind of went down as far as when John Sherman decided it was kind of time to move on? Yeah, I thought um, the timing in general was kind of weird. Um, it feels like one of those things that you either do right after the trade deadline or you wait until the season's over. You don't do that with two weeks left. <laughs> um, so that was odd. And I also thought it was odd that he was fired. I thought that, hey, John Sherman's going to let this guy who's who is the architect, architect of two uh, American League champions, the World Series title, all that, you know, let him resign. You know, just, just kind of walk off into the sunset. Um, that part, I mean, it, it very well could be that that Dayton Moore just wouldn't do it. That he, he said, look, you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my tail between my legs and just, no, we're, we're not going to do this. So, so that could be why that part didn't happen, but the timing was a little bit odd to me. Um, I, I, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation at this point, but um, I had heard weeks ago, I, weeks to months, I don't, I don't even know how long ago it was, but things weren't great in that, in the office. And, um, well, there, there was there was some tension, and and maybe maybe there would be a a split at some point after the season. So, I, mean, I, I kind of hinted a little bit of that. I could never really get anybody to say, "Yeah, you're right. You're hearing right. All that stuff." But um, the timing was especially interesting because of Dayton Moore talking about the athletic article about the Royals pitching development. Like, what was it? Three days before it was a Sunday game, and then he got fired on Wednesday. I mean, seemed a little bit interesting to me. Um, I wonder if that kicked things up in earnest. I don't know, but I, I think it was kind of a a long time coming. And and you know, I, I, well, the biggest thing that I'd heard was that John Sherman really likes JJ Piccolo, and I think that the the aftermath of the firing shows that he really likes JJ Piccolo. And here we are. Yeah, I think that was kind of was surprising to some fans is that um, you know, there wasn't exactly a clean break from the past. I mean, they, instead of going outside the organization and hiring a new baseball ops person, they, they went in-house with J.J. Piccolo. Um, and it was kind of interesting, some of the comments John Sherman made. I mean, definitely emphasized kind of that, the data component. Um, well, you know, why do you think he went with, with Piccolo? I mean, you say he, you know, he was a big fan of J.J. Piccolo. Can you get a little bit of, a, a little bit of why, uh, you know, why he was big into Piccolo and, and decided? Because I think when he first came over from, from the Cleveland organization, when Sherman did, um, I think there was an expectation that, oh, he might start bringing Guardians personnel over here, which I don't think has necessarily been the case, maybe a few. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I thought I think there was some thought that, oh, if he ever does hire a general manager, it'll be someone from that organization. Instead, he goes in-house. Uh, talk a little bit about what J.J. Piccolo represents as far as, um, you know, someone that's worked under Dayton Moore, but, but the way they talked, it sounds like he's a little bit of a break from what Dayton Moore is bringing to the table. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you go back, I don't know, a decade, eight years, whatever you want to do, before pre-John Sherman, pre-Hosmer and Kane and all them leaving, I think that J.J. Piccolo and Dayton Moore probably thought very similarly about baseball. Um, I I don't think it was necessarily – I don't think there would have been much of a difference between the two running the organization. Um, I don't know when the change happened for JJ, but at some point, and it might have been John Sherman might have been the catalyst here because he bought the team. What was that? I think if I think the news broke in September of 2019, I think it became official in November. I want to say, and that's also about the time that the Royals revamped everything on the hitting side, and they did some work on the pitching side too. Obviously, not enough, but um, JJ was the one who headed that up, and so 
I think what you started to see, and like I said, it may have started before that. I think you started to see him start to evolve his thought processes around the game. I don't, I don't think Dayton did that, <laughs> and I think that's what you know ultimately led to the move they made. And and, and I think that what you see from JJ Piccolo is somebody who is a scouting guy at heart, but who has embraced the analytics and and the data and all that and. And I think that really appealed to John Sherman. I also believe you know, the Dayton Moore move is not the only move they're going to make in the front office. I think they're going to bring somebody, somebody's in, um, probably in pretty short order, I would imagine. I mean, it might, it might have to wait until the playoffs are over. So, you know, it might be mid-November before we see names for final um, front office shuffling. But... I would guess that anybody who comes in will allow JJ to kind of stick with his, you know, scouting roots, um, and and turn back toward turn back to that and have, have anybody else who comes in be more of the the staff guys in the organization. Um, but I think that the fact that JJ embraces that so much is what allowed John Sherman to trust him, and so. We'll see. It might turn out that in the end, JJ is no different. And and I think that what John Sherman showed last week was, if you're no different, you're going to go too. But I'm going to give you this chance. And I think that that's kind of kind of where where it is right now. But I I, I think he truly believes that JJ is very data oriented and and has the ability to use that data and analyze it and all that. Yeah, to me, I think the biggest, uh, I think, stamp of approval is from Sherman himself. Like, I I had, I think, some doubts just because I don't know how they're operating in the front office. It's kind of a bit of a black box. But, um, you know, I think Sherman made it pretty clear. Like you say, like, he, yeah. he put an emphasis on data. If J.J. doesn't go in that direction, he's probably going to find himself out of a job pretty soon. So, uh, yeah, that, I think that gave me a little bit of reassurance as well. Um, and I, I know you mentioned this, too, on, on Seren Petro when you were on this week, but uh, you know, I think it was interesting that Sherman mentioned a couple of different organizations that sound like he wants to aspire to be like uh, the Brewers, the Rays. Uh, I think you mentioned Cleveland, uh, the, you know, the organization he'd been with in the, in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me if he does kind of bring in some people from those organizations as well. So, you know, you mentioned a house cleaning. How much of a house cleaning are we talking about? I mean, you talk about some front office guys, but I think everyone wants to know, you know, what what's the next shoe you're going to drop? Uh, you know, the as far as Mike Matheny and the, the coaching staff, um, you know, JJ Piccola said he'll decide with, with end of the week meetings in Detroit, I guess this week. Um, what, you know, is it a foregone conclusion that Matheny is gone at this point? I would be pretty shocked if he's back. Um, that I don't know what percent that leaves it at. <laughs> that he could, he could still be there, but I, I think that pretty much everything that has been said really sounds like Matheny has gone. Um, I mean, what, what did he say on 610, JJ? I mean, talking about on, um, I think it was Tuesday. Something like, we're, we're going to talk with Mike about what's mutually beneficial for the organization. <laughs> Nothing is mutually beneficial. You don't talk to somebody about what's mutually beneficial if they're coming back. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, <laughs> it's just not how conversations work. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that, um, I, I think we're going to see those changes. I, I, in the front office, I'm, I'm actually really curious about who leaves? I don't know that anybody else is going to lose their job. Um, I mean, I guess it's possible. I, I, I suppose if J.J. Piccolo says, I, I don't like this person, I don't want this person, whatever, he might make that decision. 
but I think it's going to be more about bringing people in than than changing changing people out. So I'm I'm curious to see how they handle that. It doesn't sound like they're going to hire somebody above JJ from what I've heard, but um, they might hire somebody alongside him. Um, so you know, if you're looking at candidates, that takes away guys like Matt Arnold. Those guys, they're not going to come over to be alongside JJ Piccolo, but it does allow for maybe some guys from lower lower in the Brewers front office or in the Guardians front office or Raider or wherever you want to go. But, you know, talking about the coaching staff, I don't think – I mean, I, I think the hitting guys are safe um, in, in their in the spots in the organization. I'm not sure. They, they, I mean, they talked all season long about, um, you know, Zoom Walt's going to be there the rest of the season. This is it. And then, you know, we'll reevaluate what – what his best role is, but he's going to sit in there for the rest of the year. Well, he, so he might not be the hitting coach next year, but he's not going to leave the organization. Kenny Duran is not leaving the organization, at least by the Royals' choice. Um, but yeah, I, I think everybody else, outside of Pedro Grifol, I think everybody's gone, and Pedro Grifol might be gone. I, I don't, I don't know about that. So it's they're going to look pretty different. It's going to be a pretty different looking team on the field and in the front office next year. I think. Uh, I know you've been batting around some names if they do end up, you know, firing Mike Matheny as far as who could replace him as manager. Uh, I, I know, like, we're kind of speculating. We don't know, you know who J.J. would like, what kind of connect- connections he has, or who would be interested in the job even. But what are some names? Or I guess, what, do we, what would you be looking for as far as a manager, and what, what, who are some, some names that, that might fit that bill? Well, I think if you want to look toward the organizations that John Sherman wants to look toward, I think you have to – have a forward thinking manager. You've got to have somebody who is exceptionally prepared, um, has an ability to communicate the stats with the players, how to, how to utilize them the best and, and all that. It doesn't have to be the manager who does that, but I think it helps. Um, yeah, I, I think it's funny. The name that I keep hearing when I talk to people and I've, and I've heard this name since like June is Alex Zumwalt to take over for Mike Matheny, which is a really, outside the box idea but i think back to jj piccolo i can't remember when he said this but he he made a comment maybe like a year ago after he became general manager um talking about how zoom walk can do anything in the game and he and he specifically said he could be a gm he could be a manager and then kind of tailed off and i don't know maybe that just stuck with people and that's why that name keeps coming up but it keeps coming up so wouldn't be shocking if, if zoom walk became the manager in 2023, but there there are a few names that I'm really interested in. I think um, there's the obvious. You look at the successful franchises and find their bench coach. I mean, that's the way a lot of teams find their manager. And you can look at uh, Matt Quattraro from the Rays. I, from a strategic standpoint, he seems like a really good fit. From a having to say the name on the radio four times a week standpoint, <laughs> I'm not sure. But Rex will mangle that. Yeah, he'll mangle that in the first week. He's he's Matty Q, um, <laughs> <laughs> but then there's Joe Espada is a name who's really interesting. I went through. I've looked at at a handful, um, and there's some really young names: Christopher Negron from who's with the Mariners right now, uh, Jace Tingler. Maybe he gets a second shot. I don't know. One name that has popped up in my in in my searching, talking to people, all that. Dusty Wathen is. I, I saw somebody mentioned it. I said, I'll put him in there, but we'll see. Because I've got an article I'm going with. And I started reading about him. And I'm going, he might be a really good fit. He's great with young players. The players seem to love him. 
if you can read some quotes from from Phillies players coming up through their system with with Dusty Watson, I, I, I want to play for him. And I mean, it would hurt because I'm old, but I want to do it. And so I don't know. He, he he's an interesting name that's popped up and. John Watson just announced his retirement, so you got to get a Watson back in the Royals organization. Maybe, maybe it's perfect timing. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I heard. I think I talked to a friend of mine that was a Phillies uh, fan, and he, I believe, Watson was up for the job before Girardi got it. And yeah. and and I think I'd heard that like he's not going to get the job, but he really should be a favorite for the job because of what you say. Like like he is a good blend of like the using the data and getting along with players, or you know, being able to integrate that with players and he's been a he's been a really great coach uh for the phillies um so that that's interesting the zoom all thing I, I uh, he yeah it with kapler too when, when kapler got the job and right. he just keeps and he's been their third base coach just staying around forever so yeah. I mean, maybe he never wants to leave i don't know yeah uh, oh yeah and that, that job could be open i like i would expect thompson to get the job full-time in philadelphia but i would think so yeah, yeah. Uh, but that job could be available as well uh zoom all yeah uh i know alex duvall at royals farm report has been kind of pushing that and he's i think heard the same thing you have that 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 is a possibility and i i know zumalt doesn't have he doesn't have managerial experience but that's kind of like the trend now is not you don't necessarily need managerial experience uh so it'd be kind of a a little bit of an outside the box um well i think you get a strong bench coach and Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter that much you just gotta have the right the right combination in the dugout basically yeah so so that's something to keep eye on well and, and i know you're coming out with something you know if We'll see if my Matheny gets end up ends up uh, getting fired here in the next couple of days, but uh, you know I know you'll have some good coverage about that. Uh, just uh, you know we'll have plenty of time to talk about the off season when we actually get to the off season. But if you if you've just kind of thinking in broad terms, you know the Royals, you know let's be I think this will be the most interesting off season we've had really since you know the the I guess all those guys departed after 2017 and maybe yeah. probably more interesting than that because you know that's just a bunch of guys leaving. Um, so the, the franchise is at a, is at a crossroads. Uh, what in just kind of broad terms? What are you kind of expecting out of JJ Piccolo this off season? What do you think the Royals need to accomplish this off season? Well, I think it's interesting because I go back to to Sherman's press conference and talking about he he specifically said I'm not going to use the word churn, and by doing that he used the word churn, and I, and I think that it's interesting to see how they act more like those franchises that we've talked about because they raise would look at what the Royals have. If, 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 if these players, these offensive players were on the Royals, the Rays would say, okay, we're trading two of these guys. I don't know who they're going to trade. Maybe it's Melendez. I don't know. Dayton Moore would never trade Melendez. But the Rays would. So maybe he gets moved. And so I, I, I'm very curious to see how active they are in kind of fixing the roster, I guess. I don't, I don't know if that's the best way to put it because I think the roster doesn't quite work right now. There's just too many guys, which is a good problem. It's just a good problem is still a problem. And I'm curious about that, but I I think what what he's going to do, I think you're going to see a lot of pitching targeted. Um, I don't know about relievers necessarily. I think you're going to – I think he's going to go after two starting pitchers. um, Well, go after more. I think he'll end up with two starting pitchers. And I think one of them will be kind of a decent-sized ticket. Um, you know, think about the Eduardo Rodriguez deal for the Tigers last year, something like that. Um, I, I, I imagine it'll be a deal that we look at and maybe don't love, but I, I think that they need to find somebody who can give them six innings every fifth day. And then I think you might see a, a, just a lower level signing. I think about like the uh, Lorenzen deal for the Angels last year, something like that. And 
maybe that's that Grinky. Maybe he's back. I don't know. But uh, I think they're going to really target pitching. I wonder a little bit. This is this is kind of iffy to me, but do they want to go get a veteran bat? Do they want to get somebody to put in the middle who, I know they've got Salvi, but who can take a walk and just give a professional at bat who isn't 600 plate appearances into his big league career? You know, could they, could they go out and say, let's get Jose Abreu, and then you can trade Nick Prado for pitching? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Admit that's not, maybe not necessarily him, but somebody like that. So that's interesting to me to see how they handle that. What's kind of throwing a wrench in it is, could, could Edward Olivares be that guy? I mean, I know he's not a veteran, but he's a righty who could break up the lefties, all that. So just a lot of questions to me. And then, or, or you know, is Edward Olivares the guy the Rays would trade? And, they, and the Royals trade him, and everybody gets mad about that. So it, it's really interesting to see how this offseason is going to unfold. And I think it's the first one in, I don't know, 15 years where we don't really know. I mean, we, we know how Dayton Moore handles an offseason. So we might get the players wrong. We might say, oh, he's going to go out and get this guy and he gets a different guy who's similar. But we know we know how – we know the, the process behind how he's going to handle it. We don't know what this is going to be, and it's really fun because I'm tired of having a good idea of what the offseason is going to look like before it starts. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be really interesting just because it's a great, it's a great situation for a GM to walk into because there is talent yeah. there. There are definitely players that other teams will, will be interested in. It's not like 2006 when Dayton Moore walked in. It's like – Okay, I got Jeremy Offeld that has some interest, and Mark Tien, I guess some teams are kind of interested in him, but not a lot of, you know, no one's going to trade for, you know, Emil Brown at that point. This much different situation now where, yeah, I agree, you have some young players, but the roster doesn't quite fit. Um, and so you have a chance to really put your stamp on this franchise and make some make some moves uh, and, and you know, have some interesting conversations with other teams about guys they want on your team and guys you want on their team. And and we'll see. We'll see what kind of a transactional general manager he is. Um, I, I, but I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I agree. It's, it's, if nothing else, it's going to be a lot more unpredictable than has been the last couple I, of winners. I got to say, I'm pretty upset with you. I really don't appreciate the Emil, Emil Brown. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not, he's, he's not, yeah, he's not a snack. He's a meal. <laughs> so, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll Emil Brown, one of my favorite, still one of my favorite Royals. Uh, so I apologize to, to Mr. Brown for that. But, uh, hey, David, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking off, uh, talking about the Royals with us. Uh, we'll have to have you on again in the offseason. Definitely check out Dave's, uh, David's uh, uh, newsletter, which he'll be uh, hopefully have a lot to write about this offseason. Uh, you can check that at inside, yeah, insidethecrown.substack.com. Um, you can also follow him on Twitter at DBLeski. David, thanks so much for being on the show. Definitely. Thanks, Max. All right, well, uh, you know, Dave Moore was here for 16 years. Um, he did win a World Series. He went to two. He won two pennants and won a World Series, which is honestly something I never thought would happen when he was hired. Uh, on the other hand, he had losing seasons in uh, 12 of his 16 seasons, uh, including this one, and uh, the last uh, five seasons were all, uh, you know, definitely seasons where they were out of it by Memorial Day or at least by midseason. Um, Matthew, when you look back at the Dayton Moore legacy, what, how do you think Dayton Moore will be remembered in Kansas City? Oh, he'll be remembered as the guy who brought a World Series to Kansas City and revived um, the Royals from the brink of just absolute, I don't know, oblivion in the mid-aughts, as it were. Um, that is going to be his legacy. Um, he's going to make it to the Royals Hall of Fame, I would imagine, someday. 
Um, he is going to stay around and, you know, whenever he comes back to Kansas City, he'll get, um, you know, he, he might get a version of the Air Cosmetry. Uh, obviously, he's not going to walk up to bat and get applauded. But It'd be like, cool if he did. It would be cool <laughs> if he did. Um, but, you know, like I could see before a game, he comes back, you know, when he's retired or if he if he goes and does something non-baseball related. Um, you know, I, he, he's going to be remembered fondly. In, in Kansas City. I think that is for sure. Now, what I think his legacy should be is a lot more nuanced and a lot less, you know, yay, this guy did something good. Um, he, he's the best. Um, because Dayton Moore's... Dayton Moore, I don't think... My my hottest take regarding Dayton Moore... And I mean, it's not so hot now. Um, but I don't think Dayton Moore was ever really a good GM. Dayton Moore was good at a lot of things. He was not good at the types of things that GMs are supposed to be good at, um, which is namely building a competitive and consistently competitive baseball team. He had all of the world at his disposal for, you know, they, David Glass handed him the reins. David Glass signed off on some big free agent spendings. Dayton Moore got a lot of money to do kind of what he wanted uh, in the beginning. And it took him in 2007, the team won 69 games. In 2012, six full seasons later, they won 72 games. It took him six seasons, and they won three more games than in his first year. Um, he was just not good at building a consistently good baseball team. And the same issues were at play when it was taking him six, seven years to get a winning squad as it was to he only made the playoffs twice, and here we are in year five of the like real for real rebuild and there's no progress. The same issues were at play in, in sort of all three stages of the Royals um, under under Dayton Moore. And the same and he never got better at the things that he wasn't good at. And I think now after some of the comments he's made and some of the things that have sort of come to light a little bit this season and and the types of things that John Sherman is looking for in the club moving forward. I think that Dayton Moore's quote unquote mistakes, they weren't mistakes. Like they were part of his process. The being loyal to players, being overly loyal to players is the same reason why Ryan O'Hearn has a job in major league baseball right now, as it was when the Royals decided to keep Joaquin Soria rather than trade him. And then Soria got hurt. Um, and then they didn't get, you know what they could from him. It's the reason why they didn't trade Duffy after they signed him to a contract. You know, that was the perfect time to trade Danny Duffy. They didn't do it. And they want to stay loyal. And I think that that is his over loyalty to his players and his um, sort of unwillingness to accept criticism has permeated all throughout his, uh, his, his time here in Kansas city. And so, yes, he did win a world series because he does a lot of other things really well but when it comes down to actual roster building and organizational baseball competence i don't think he was ever a good gm and so i'm really interested to see where he goes if he wants to be a special advisor somewhere um but you know he's, he has a mixed legacy he won a world series he won a pennant and then he has three winning seasons at 16 um so those are two very different results and i think that Kansas City will remember him more fondly for the World Series than all the other stuff. And you know what? I guess that's fine. Um, we have a different GM. We're moving on forward. If we all want to remember Dayton more positively, um, you know, okay. But his real legacy should be a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, it, it seemed like the national media kind of 
made it sound like Dayton Moore got a raw deal. I know John Amon wrote an article where he said Dayton Moore was kind of the victim of unrealistic expectations, which, uh, you know, like, wow, 13 losing seasons to 16 is unrealistic to expect more than that. I, yeah, yeah, they won a title. Uh, but I, I don't know. It seemed like the national media, Jeremy, was perhaps a little more uh, – remember Dayton Moore a little fond, more fondly than maybe Royals fans? Is that kind of what you take as well? I – no, I think a lot of Royals fans do do think very fondly of Dayton Moore. Uh, they they think of that World Series, but gosh, when I think of the World Series, I think about a two percent chance to win that wild card game. And if they don't win that wild card game, what happens in twenty fifteen? Are they as good in twenty fifteen without winning that wild card game? There's no way to know, but I'm gonna guess not. Uh, and then, even if they were, even if everything played out exactly the same way in 2015, I think that it was like a 2 or 3% chance to win game four of the ALDS against the Astros in Houston. And they won that game. If they lose those two games, which by all rights, they should have, I think Dayton Moore is remembered very differently in Kansas City. I think he's remembered as a guy who managed to get them to the postseason twice in 16 years, and they didn't even make it out of the first round. Um, and that's, you know, in, in an alternate, in most alternate universes, that's what happened. And, you know, uh, I'm glad for the World Series win. I am. But this is what I'm talking about when I when I said last week that I'd rather have a team that goes to the postseason more often. I, and even if I have to give up the World Series because I'm getting more chances at a World Series by doing that. Um, and and I, I I, I've gone over it before and I've talked about how lucky I think he was to get the roster situation that he got in 2014 and 2015. Um, so I don't, I don't feel the need to belabor that point. I do want to go ahead and give him credit for one thing that, uh, that I, I had kind of failed to give him credit for until uh, some point last week, which is that, you know, that 2% chance to win the wild card game doesn't happen they don't even have that they don't even have a two percent chance to win the wild card game without Dayton Moore because Dayton Moore came to this team and he said to David Glass David listen to me oh, well maybe he said Mr. Glass I don't know <laughs> he said listen to me I will take this job but you got to spend money you got to act like this is a baseball team you know and he, he he cleaned things up they started doing the team photographs again they started scouting in Latin America again um and without turning the culture of the team around to the point where they were actually trying and actually willing to spend some money. You don't get, you don't even ever get to the point where he could luck into the 2% chance to win the wild card game. So I got to give him credit for, for that, for the culture shift that, that they, that the Royals experienced that ultimately led to, you know, the two uh, postseason opportunities they did get. And he, he absolutely 100% uh, leaves the Royals in a better position now than when he signed up with the team. It's not as good as it should be, but it's better than it was. So I, I do have to give him credit for that much. No, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I, I think if he and that's why I kind of thought he might be really good in the in the club president role because he is really good at the, the culture stuff, like changing you know the organizational stuff. How are we going to treat people? How are we going to treat our players? How are we, um, you know, are we, we're going to put them up in housing in Arizona for the minor leaguers. We're going to pay them over the pandemic. We're going to actually pay our scouts and give them cell phones, which they didn't have when, when Dayton Moore came here. 
Um, so yeah, he did. He did definitely bring us back, bring us to the major league level, which was what we needed after uh, years under uh, uh, David Glass and Alec Baird. Um, but if he just kind of gotten out of the way of the baseball op stuff and, and maybe not got in JJ Piccolo's way, you know, he, maybe that could have worked and they, they could have flourished like that. But unfortunately it doesn't look like that would have been the case, but, uh, you know, ultimately I think he will be remembered fondly. He did bring a world series here two of the most thrilling seasons in club history. I mean, just the remarkable runs they went on it, and you're right. It, it, by very, you know, very well could have ended early and we'd be looking at, Dayton more the same way Rangers fans probably look at John Daniels, who was fired this year. You know, a general manager that took him to the postseason, but but didn't have uh, didn't win at all, um, and and he was dismissed. But uh, you know, Dayton Moore did win at all, and I think he should be commended for that. Doesn't mean he can't eventually move on. I mean, the Chiefs eventually moved on from Jack Stedman, who led them to a Super Bowl, and by you know oversaw the team as it deteriorated in the seventies and eighties. So it, the the game kind of moves on, and, and either you got you know as I say in Moneyball, adapt or die. And we'll see if Dave Moore has a second life. I'll be, I'll be interested to see uh, if he does get hired somewhere else. I, I imagine he will be, probably as Matthew says, in a special advisor role. I was kind of speculating on Twitter, I think, you know, because his buddy Chris Young runs the Rangers now. I wonder if he'll be a special advisor there or if he'll go back to the Braves where he still has – he may still have some connections there um, and feel like an emeritus role or some, of some sort. Um, but we'll have to see. You know, you, you know I, I think he does – he has built up a lot of goodwill around baseball. Um, so he probably shouldn't have too much trouble finding some sort of job. I think it, it just have to, remains to be seen what kind of job he wants to do. Uh, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you lead it off for us this week? All right, I'm I'm prepared this time. How about that? <laughs> um, so I'm going to recommend yet another uh, anime I was watching recently, um, and this one is called Odd Taxi. Uh, and it is a 12-episode uh, neo-noir uh, anime about a taxi driver. And just, just uh, there, there's a mystery uh, about a missing girl and, and all kinds of shenanigans with the mafia. And, 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 you know, neo-noir. and the taxi driver is a walrus. I was going to get there. <laughs> Uh, all kinds of neo-noir stuff and the, but the taxi driver's a walrus and everybody around him is, is an animal his doctor is a gorilla the nurse is a, is an alpaca uh, and, and so it's interesting because this is something you could do in anime that you can't really do anywhere else where all of these people are animals and you just kind of don't question it you just kind of go with it um, and yeah it has a really I, I've been watching I was watching it for a while and I didn't want to recommend it because I wanted to make sure it stuck the landing and uh, I, I managed to watch the finale last week and it sticks the landing it is it is a very good show uh, it has, it's a self-contained story and the 12 episodes is probably never gonna get a second season it did get a sequel movie but that doesn't have a dub yet so I haven't watched it yet uh, but um, if you like neo-noir if you're interested in mystery if you're just like there's a lot of philosophy stuff in there, so if you're interested in that, or if you just want to see like a bunch of talking animals doing stuff, uh, then uh, it could be fun. Talking animals doing stuff. That's that's a good blurb right there. <laughs> Matthew, what do you have for us this week? Sorry for uh, stealing your thunder there. I, I was legitimately worried you weren't going to say that he was a walrus, so just had to get that out there. Um, so my uh, review uh, this week is a book. Um, it is a book. From Randall Monroe. Uh, Randall Monroe is a um, he's famous for being a, a webcomic author, and you have probably seen 
is a webcomic XKCD. If you haven't read it before, surely you have seen snippets of it. It has this, it's very simple, um, like all of the stick figures, their fa- their faces, there's no faces. It's just, you know, a round, um, pretty simple style. Um, you probably have seen a, a selection, or not a selection, a sort of, I don't know what to call it because it's it's on it's online, but basically it's it's a picture that says, "Hold on, I can't come over. Someone on the internet is wrong." That's from XKCD. He has a couple of books, um, and his most recent book is called "What If 2. It is the sequel to his book "What If," and uh, basically he um, just gets uh, questions from people. So he has a, a place on his website where you can submit a question, and what he does is he. Um, just gets some of the most wacky questions and then tries to seriously answer scientifically um, what is the answer to these ridiculous questions. Uh, Here's an example of one question. This is my favorite question in the book. As plastic is made from oil, and oil is made from dead dinosaurs, how much actual real dinosaur is there in a plastic dinosaur? Um, Or another question, how tall can a swing set be while still being powered by a human pumping their legs? Is it possible to build a swing set tall enough to launch the rider to space if they jump at the right time? So he takes these questions that are, (laughs) some of them are even more off the wall, and he just like answers them. And and he had uh, had an event here before the the pandemic a couple years ago um, where he was talking about another one of his books, and he he just like calls scientists if if he needs like, you know he does his unre- done does his own research, um, but if he can't find an answer, he will like call scientists and be like, "Hey, I've got a stupid question. Can you help me answer?" So um, is, there's you know some some stuff from some you know really uh, you know in, in professional scientists who are answering just these absolutely ridiculous questions. So it's a very good book. Um, especially it's a really good book um, if you have um, kids who are maybe into science or if you want to get them into science because um, it's clean, but it's he's very funny, he's very witty, um, and these questions are just you know ridiculous um and they're they're a type of thing that that a kid would enjoy especially you know middle or high school so i would recommend it for anybody uh who is uh, interested in uh science or ridiculous questions or um is a fan of his work on xkcd.com um and his webcomic is free so if you just want to do that that's good too but the book is what if to um uh, additional serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions we're all about the absurd hypothetical questions, that's for sure. Well, uh, my Royals Review Review this week is, uh, I- I'm recommending a restaurant because I had it for lunch today. It was great. It was uh, Buck Tui in uh, Kansas. It's in Overland Park, Kansas, uh, 75th and Metcalf. It's, uh, I know Kansas City has a lot of good barbecue places. This one's a little bit different. It's barbecue with a Thai uh, twist. Um, so if you're if you're expecting Thai food, uh, it has Thai flavors. So I don't go in expecting to get Pad Thai, but they had, we had a... They had their own take on the Z-Man, which is what uh, Joe's Kansas City is famous for. But it's with a pulled pork and sausage, uh, but with uh, Thai flavors. So kind of your curry, your kind of your um, uh, and and also a big emphasis on pickled vegetables, which um, I think is kind of underrated with barbecue. I think you need to have good pickled vegetables to go with uh, grilled meats because they pair very, very nicely. But anyway, uh, they, they have, you know, they have sandwiches, but they also have like rice dishes with uh, with uh, grilled meats 
and it's just fantastic. Like it, it's soft, it's tender, the flavors are great. Um, I think it's really good if you're if you want if you like barbecue but you want to try something a little different. Um, definitely try Buktui. I know they just opened uh, and they're open for lunch and dinner now, so do check it out and support your local businesses. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks so much for David to David Lesky for being on, and thanks to Matthew and Jeremy for being on as usual. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next time. Hey!